Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, September 19, and Katrina Blowers, tonight, Australian time, the Queen's funeral will get underway. Yeah, so this is expected to be the most watched event in history Mm. with billions watching on television. It's going to be, I guess, a key turning point in the mourning process. And, you know, I work in television news, so I'm sort of hoping that this might also mark the end of this uh, non-stop rolling coverage that we've been doing ever since the Queen passed. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people feel like it's a bit much. A lot of people are lapping it up. Um, I mean, I find it quite interesting. But we actually checked in with you, the briefing audience, to see how you're feeling about it. We asked, how do you really feel about the Queen via our Instagram? And there were a lot of positive responses, Katrina. There actually really were. Um, Love Mish wrote that it was sad, but it was expected eventually. She's been such a constant in the world. It's made me think about the monarchy. Uh, She changed it, uh, but the world changed faster. Uh, Anne M. Clay said that she was so dignified Cesiana says she feels very sad and it actually made her regrieve the loss of her own mother. She's not a monarchist, but she is mm. an Elizabethan. Um, other people, Andy Taylor said, end of an era of stability. And Aunt 68 said, respect no matter what you view in royalty is. Yep. And then there were a whole lot of people that said, don't really care, nonplussed, sick of hearing about it. Sad, but she could have moved towards reparations, uh, over it, could not give a F. Someone else says, momentary thoughts for the family, but ongoing thoughts for all of the injustices of her colonial rule. Someone else says, I hope this is the beginning of treaty truth-telling and the end of the monarchy. And one other response, now that she's gone, everyone hates Charles, so we can become a republic quicker. So strong reactions there. And I guess amongst all the coverage... There hasn't been that much room for critical voices about the Queen and her legacy, and partly that makes sense. It's a very sensitive time and a time to pay respect. But of course, as you've just heard there, many people, especially Indigenous people, don't share in the adoration for the Queen and what she represents. Mm, I was actually talking to one of our Indigenous reporters in the newsroom about this last night and she said she really wants those conversations to be had but she hasn't felt like it's been the right time Mm. up until perhaps now. Mm. So in this episode of The Briefing, uh, before the media moves on from this huge moment in history, we will explore Indigenous perspectives on the Queen's passing. That is our briefing right after today's headlines. Well, as we just mentioned, the biggest security operation in British history is underway with an additional 20,000 police on the ground. Yeah, they're looking after the 2,000 special guests, including 500 royals and heads of state who've gathered in London for the funeral tonight. The US President Joe Biden is among them. He paid his respects earlier this morning. People have now been warned not to queue at the end of that eight-kilometre-long line to see the Queen's coffin because there won't now be enough time before the funeral, which is set to start at 8pm our time. And Anthony Albanese, our Prime Minister, is there in London and he joined the crowds in Westminster Hall yesterday. It was a moment of reflection on that and it was very emotional. You could feel it in the room. He also met with King Charles. He was actually asked if he brought up the Republic debate in that conversation. As you'd expect, the answer was no. 
And a massive typhoon has made landfall in Japan. Typhoon Namadol is moving slowly across the island of Kushu, prompting warnings for 4 million people to evacuate with trains and flights cancelled. Do not go near dangerous areas. If you feel that you are in danger, do not hesitate to evacuate. Please take early action to save your lives. That's Japanese PM Fumio Kishida there. In some areas, 400 millimetres of rain fell over the weekend. More to come. Hundreds of flights have so far been cancelled and uh, bullet trains have been suspended too. And despite weakening slightly this morning, winds are still gusting at over 250 k's an hour. The storm is forecast to turn east and hit Tokyo tomorrow before moving out to sea by Wednesday. The nation's biggest early childcare provider is offering a whole bunch of incentives to entice new workers. So this is Good Start Early Learning. It runs 640 childcare centres across the country. Uh, It's now paying 5% above award wages, according to The Australian. They're also offering two personal wellbeing days each year, as well as a $500 headhunter bonus if you refer a new employee. Oh, and a discount on petrol. So they're doing all they can... I mean, they might even have to pay more than that, but doing, you know, a fair bit to try and lure more workers into a sector that is absolutely struggling. 7,000 jobs are available in the sector. That's a record and it's more than doubled since the start of the pandemic. It also means fee hikes for parents, as well as putting pressure on the federal budget as taxpayer subsidies for daycare are paid as a percentage of fees. Yeah, and I mentioned they might have to do more. And um, look, here's a reason why. The union for these workers, the United Workers, organised a walkout recently for childcare workers. They were asking for a 30% wage rise. So Good Start Early Learning has offered 5% here. It gives you a sense where this might be going. And for some people, the Brownlows might be all about the fashion, but there actually was a very worthy winner as well. The AFL's Night of Nights saw Carlton's captain Patrick Cripps take home the big Brownlow medal. It is the first time a Carlton player has won in 12 years. Yeah, and it was a really close count. Cripps beat Brisbane Lions star Lockie Neal by one point, a double blow to Neal because... His team was knocked out by Geelong over the weekend, losing by over 70 points. Yeah, there was a lot of sadness in Brisbane about Mm, that over the weekend. Uh, The Geelong Cats will take on the Sydney Swans in the grand final next weekend at the MCG after the Swans beat Collingwood by one point in a nail-biting final minute at the SCG on Saturday. Unbelievable. So, yeah, the grand final for the AFL back at the MCG, Sydney versus Geelong bit of interstate rivalry there. That will be an absolutely huge one. Um, In other slightly more niche sporting news, the Road Cycling World Championships are on (laughs) in little old Wollongong. So this is all the best people in the world for a once a year event in Wollongong. So major coup for that city at the time trial event. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. That's Partly why I'm mentioning it. Um. Yeah, and, uh, you know, maybe a slight personal interest, but yeah. I may be wearing lycra as I read these headlines. Um, (laughs) So the time trial events were held yesterday with Australian Grace Brown coming second in the World Championship event and the big road race with all the biggest names in the world will be held over the weekend as they ride around Wollongong, which is going to have a huge sporting moment. All right, Katrina, we are going to catch you tomorrow... Rihanna Patrick is about to join me now as we talk about the Indigenous perspectives on the Queen's passing.
All right, now to our briefing on Indigenous perspectives on the Queen's passing and her funeral tonight. Now, our very own briefing co-host, Rhiannon Patrick, is a Torres Strait Islander and brings a very unique perspective on the Queen's passing, partly, Rhiannon, because of your heritage and community connections, but also because you happen to be a bit of a royal nerd. I didn't even know what Operation Unicorn was. You knew everything that was going on as soon as the Queen died last week. Yeah, look, I will admit that I may have been an extremely big royal watcher, but in my last job, I'd actually been flagged to go over for the Queen's funeral. So I had brushed up, I guess, on uh, exactly what was going to happen, should that happen. And of course, it did. So there were all these different plans, right, depending on which of her castles she passed away in. Yes. So there was a plan for if she passed away in London. There was a plan for if she passed away while in Scotland. There was a plan for if she passed away overseas. Uh, So they had been working on these plans for a very long time. Okay. So let's get deeper into the main point we're trying to hit with this briefing topic. You're from a Torres Strait Islander background. Just tell us a bit more about your background and your community connections. Yeah, so Torres Strait Islanders are the second Indigenous group in Australia and our islands are the body of water between the tip of Cape York, the tip of Queensland, and the body of water between tip of Queensland and Papua New Guinea. And so I guess for me, I have always grown up with the Queen having quite a heavy influence in my family. I remember my dad talking about my grandfather who danced for the Queen when she was on one of her tours up north. I grew up with my white grandmother who was very fascinated by what the Queen was up to. Clearly, I was growing up in a time too when the royals were on the cover of every magazine, when magazines were very big, and I used to read those when I was a kid. So I guess I've always had this fascination with the royals, and I honestly don't really know where that comes from. Okay. And you've also hosted an Indigenous radio program on the ABC for years, which I imagine has brought you in touch with a whole range of different parts of Australia's First Nations communities. Yeah. And so I guess the other thing that I've always been aware of is the place of the monarchy and knowing our British colonial roots and the effect of colonisation, but also understanding that as a Torres Strait Islander, we had a very different experience to colonisation, to Christianisation as well. The London Missionary Society is the group that missionised the Torres Strait. It's a history that runs quite deep in my family. My great-grandfather was one of the first native deacons, as they were called back in the day, for the London Missionary Society. So the church has always been quite big in my family and the Anglican faith. I also am aware, though, that for many Aboriginal people on the mainland, that colonisation was brutal. So I understand when I see that conversation playing out as well. I I completely understand where they're coming from. So what have you been feeling personally over the last 10 days? And where do your views fit within the broader context of those other views you've been reading? I guess like most people, it was shock that she had passed. But I also have been aware that I've been looking introspectively at myself. And like I said, I've always wondered where that fascination with the royal family has come from because I'm an an Indigenous person. But I also recognise that, as I was explaining before, how Torres Strait Islanders, in their experience of this and, you know, 
we've also lived under, I guess, the act. You know, my father was, you know, grew up under the act and growing up having his life pretty much dictated to him. Um, you know, I understand a lot of that history, but for me, I think I haven't really thought much else about it except about those bigger conversations that have been happening and what I've been watching about people who aren't going to have, you know, a minute silence, for instance, or the conversation around the Aboriginal flag being flown at half-mast on the Harbour Bridge, mm. for instance. I've, I've been I mean, what did you think of that? Oh, it- well, look, it's an Aboriginal flag, so I can't speak to that. It's not my flag. Um, but I, I understand um, that what I've been seeing in the community of people really not happy with that fact. But again, like all communities, there are some that believe that should happen. There are others that believe it shouldn't happen. But I also recognise as well that that's an official flag. There are protocols that come with having an official flag. Um and that's part of those protocols that any flag on a pole being flown next to the Australian flag obviously has to be at half-mast as well. So I understand all of that, but I don't think I had, you know, a reaction to that necessarily only because it's not my flag and it's not my place to really talk about that. But I understood exactly those that were against that happening and why they, well, they weren't happy to see that. Well, obviously it's a very sensitive time, this 10-day period of mourning, how do you think we've handled the critical voices in in this moment as a culture? Obviously, there's been people who've been really outspoken, like the Green Senator Lydia Thorpe, and then there's been the whole saga with Caitlin Moran, who's a, a female NRL player. She's been stood down for a game for her critical comments on social media, and she used language about the Queen that personally I wouldn't even want to repeat on this podcast, so many saw that as a step way too far. What do you make of the way, I mean, the Caitlin Moran's story for a start and just the general conversation that has or hasn't been able to happen in the last 10 days? Yeah, I think the Rugby League Players Association has come out saying that it's really inconsistent with the punishments that the NRL hands down to players and that it it was quite excessive. And I think Ray Hadley, the broadcaster, also came out and, and said that he expects her to apologise. And I think he described the post as perhaps the most reprehensible thing that he's seen connected to the rugby league. Yeah, well, just on Ray Hadley's comments, a lot of people have pointed out there have been far worse things that have happened in rugby league, namely some of the sexual misconduct and, and even assault by rugby league players. And that obviously sparked an entirely different conversation as well um, off the back of his comments. But I think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is particularly here where I live in Queensland, we're on the path to treaty, right? Like Victoria and like, like a lot of other states are in the process of determining what their relationship is with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders moving forward. And one of our key points here is around truth-telling. And I mean, this is a big part of truth-telling is acknowledging that while the Queen is being mourned and there's an element of reverence, I guess, in that because we're in this, you know, we're coming up to her funeral tonight, but that there's also this other part that she represents, the, you know, where that money comes from, where that power comes from, the legacy of that colonial past as well, which I think needs to also be told if we're talking about balance. Yeah, well, speaking of which, let's bring in another perspective now. Adam Hill, also known as Black Douglas, is an Indigenous artist from Sydney, he won the Archibald Prize, so um, he's really taken a step up in terms of his prominence. And he's been very critical of the Queen and what she represents um, over the last 10 days as well. 
Adam, obvious question. What was your reaction to the Queen passing? I think it's one step closer to sovereignty for First Nations people. Right. So did you see it as a good thing that she was going? It doesn't sound like you, you know, from, from what you're saying there, but I've also seen what you've written um, on the socials. You weren't mourning her, the loss of the Queen. Of course not. For the lay Australian to continue their adoration for the monarchy is simply salt in the wound for First Nations people here. Adam, growing up, I mean, what were those discussions that were had in your household around the Queen and the British monarchy and, I guess, colonisation? Well, look, I was, of course, a stick in the mud and some people might find that hard to believe. (laughs) But um, interestingly, my family were devoted royalists uh, by and large. They, They wouldn't speak untoward against the royal family at the dinner table. And um, I often wondered, as I started to see things through clearer eyes growing up, did the fact that we have her face on every bit of currency on the reverse side, is that what has psychologically permeated with uh, anybody within the colony? It's almost as though every time you deal a bit of currency, you have to be on your best behaviour. But how have you managed, I guess, that? that overriding sense that now's not the time to speak out against the Queen. I, I, I saw straight away you were very strong on social media um, with your point of view. How have you decided how hard to go and how much to say during this particular 10-day period? Well, it's a good question. I, mean, I did pull back a little because um, others were doing it um, considerably more eloquently than I was. And look... I know too well about losing all of my old ones in my family that there's sensitivity around, you know, a personable loss. And also understand that, sadly, we choose to remain suckled to the boob even though she has gone. And so I was hoping that we would move another step closer to becoming a republic. But it seems like these people here just can't take the training wheels off. And what do you make of Caitlin Moran? She spoke out in what many would think a very disrespectful term. She's been stood down from the match over the weekend and they only have five rounds in the women's NRL, so that's a massive hit for her. You're in a different position, I guess. You're not part of an institution like the NRL. Being an artist, has, has that meant you've, you've felt, I guess, a greater freedom to speak your mind? Absolutely. I, feel, I quite feel for her and I stand strongly as a side Caitlin, and fully endorse her comments. And isn't it a freedom of speech? Isn't it meant to be a freedom of speech? But it's remarkable how this racist society, in effect, will strongly sidle towards their overt point of view and their my way or the highway attitude. It's sad that it goes to this extremity that uh, she has to be stood down. So that was Black Douglas, the Sydney artist, um, real name Adam Hill. Rihanna, let's bring this conversation to a close. It's been a very interesting one. I imagine you'll still be watching tonight. I will, because I'll be honest, I've never seen the funeral of a monarch. I wasn't born when the last one was held. And I always am very interested in process. So I will tune in to watch that, I think. Mm. And do you think once it's over, the debate will rage on or people will just get back to their their daily lives and stop thinking about the royals. 
Look, I understand that there's probably a lot of fatigue at the moment. There has been a lot in the media lately. I mean, we're talking about it, so clearly we're a part of that. But I would hope that there is this bigger conversation and a more nuanced conversation around what it all means, and particularly if we are moving towards truth-telling and really acknowledging the history of this country. All right. Well, thank you so much for being um, really open about your views and and your cultural background on this has been a great conversation. Tomorrow on The Briefing, have you heard of pre-bunking? Well, instead of debunking misinformation, this is a way that Google is trying to, I guess, stop the damage misinformation does before it even happens rather than afterwards. Listener.